0: Hey, I'm Andrew, one of the pastors here at the Mount. I want to welcome those of you at our Fredericksburg campus, and of course, of you right here at Stafford, and for those who are watching online, thank you so much for joining us today. And today we're continuing our series called Ready for Whatever. But have you ever wanted more? Maybe there was something that it ran out, it was limited. You wanted more time to experience whatever it was, but then it was over, and you wanted more. Maybe the more that some of you want is more sleep. In fact, where are all my snoozers at? Raise your hand up. In fact, I really wish on that alarm clock they would move, change that from being a snooze button to a procrastination button, because you know that's all you're doing. You're delaying your day just another 10 minutes, but isn't that 10 minutes the sweetest sleep you ever got? especially when you turn down the temperature in your house you get under those covers like the bed doesn't want you to leave. Sometimes we just want more sleep. But maybe the more that some of you want is more time. You want more time to do the things that you enjoy. You want more time to spend with the people that you care about. You want more time away from I-95, okay? Like some of us, we just want more time. For some of us, maybe the more that you want, you want more money. In fact, I think a lot of us probably want more money. Uh, It was that billionaire J.D. Rockefeller, when he was asked the question, how much money is enough money, who famously replied, just a little bit more. I think maybe the more that some of us want is more space. And maybe that's more space away from your kids. I know you love your kids, but if you can have some more space away from them, then that would be so great. Or maybe the more space you want is maybe more space away from the grind getting away from the screen from the cubicle getting away from the cash register more space just to simply feel some freedom but I think maybe some of what all of us want a more than all of us want I think we can all agree to is that we all just want some more dessert okay I think at every single location, all of us want more dessert. I know for me in particular, that more for me, that more dessert is more ice cream. But you want to know something, church, Fredericksburg, Stafford, online? There's one type of ice cream that I never want more of. And I feel like I just have to get this off of my chest today. I never want any more mint chocolate chip ice cream because (laughs) it is disgusting. Why don't you just pop a Hershey's in your mouth while you're brushing your teeth? It's the same thing. (laughs) So we're continuing on our series called Ready for Whatever, because life can come at you fast. A sudden change in your job, a sudden change in in your church, when you get that diagnosis that you weren't expecting for yourself or someone that you care about. And when life comes at you fast, it can either throw you off or it can even set you off. And what we're reading today was written by the Apostle Paul, and he's writing this from jail, a place where he wasn't hoping to be or expecting to be. But because of his relationship with Christ, because of this deep relationship he had with God, God had him prepared for whatever may come across his way. As we're reading this today, we're going to even see that God can still even work joy in your life when things happen that are unexpected. Today we're going to be in Philippians chapter 3, and we're moving out of Philippians chapter 2 where Paul painted this incredible picture of Christ as this great leader, this great servant, challenging the church to be ready to serve. And when you're ready to serve, you want to honor God, but you want to value others. But this week we're going to see that he wants to give some warnings to this church. Because there were some things that were starting to creep in. You know, as we're reading this today, Paul is the one who started this church in Philippians. In fact, he went to this area, this Philippian area in Philippi, and one of the first people he met was a lady named Lydia. She was a successful businesswoman. And most scholars believe that Lydia was a Greek woman who started to follow the Jewish faith. And then once Paul shared the gospel with her, she she repents of her sin and surrenders her life to Christ. And then she helps him start this church in Philippians. But not only that, right before that, right after that, Paul was actually preaching the gospel in this area, and this mob got so mad at him that they literally attacked him and they threw him in jail. And while Paul was in jail again for suffering, he was suffering for his faith, just simply trying to do what God had called him to do, while he was in jail, in chains, in shackles, you want to know what Paul was doing while he was in jail? He was praying. He was praising God. And as he's praying and praising God, God, through his power, sends an earthquake to literally shake the jail and to shake the chains and the shackles off of Paul. And then there was this jailer who was there, this Roman jailer, who, saw, who thought maybe all the prisoners had escaped, and he was getting ready to take his own life. And Paul cried out to him and said, don't harm yourself. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. And then that jailer, he and his whole family give their lives to Christ, and they end up being a part of this church, getting it off the ground. So this Philippian church, right from the beginning, had this successful businesswoman named Lydia, and then this Roman jailer and his whole family come and help Paul, who was this Jewish man, along with his companion, Silas, who both gave their lives to Christ. All these people come together to join and to start this church. And again, we're just reminded that the gospel is the real unifier. Man, we see the gospel cross gender lines ethnic lines, and even socioeconomic statuses to bring people together. So this church was experiencing some real unity in the beginning. But Paul wants to warn them this week because some of the mindset of the world is starting to creep in. And if they don't watch out, it's going to bring some division and some tension. So he's going to give them some warnings this week as we look in Philippians chapter 3. And as we go through this passage again today, just like we did last week, I want to just read the entire section of Philippians, all 21 verses. We're going to read through the entire section, just like when they would have received the letter back in the first century, just read it out loud, and then taking some time to pray. So I'm going to read through this entire passage. I want you to follow along at every location today. So I'm going to take out your Bible, turn to Philippians chapter 3, or open up the Mount app. And if you have a, a like a, the Bible app, we're going to be reading from the NIV, the New International Version, in case you need to flip that in your app. And as we're reading this today, I'm going to read straight through verse 19. And then at both campuses, when we hit verse 20 and 21, I want you to read that out loud together with me, Okay. So Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Paul says, Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. He says, It is no trouble for me to write these things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. He says, Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision... We who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, In regard to the law, I was a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church. As for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But whatever gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things, And so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me, heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us, then, who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that, too, God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, And just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Father God, I want to take a moment and thank you for your word. And again, Lord, I love how good it is just on its own. God, I love how it it talks to us and it speaks to us and it's still living and active even though this was written almost 2,000 years ago. God, I pray that you would help us to be ready for more. God, I pray that you help us to be ready for whatever it is you're gonna bring across our way. God, I pray today as we read this, as we study your word, I pray that you would speak to us. God, I pray that you would encourage the person right now who feels so far from you God, I pray that today they would know there is still hope in you. If they're alive today, that you have not given up on them. But Lord, you are still pursuing them. You want to bring them close. God, I pray today that we wouldn't just be hearers of what we're going to read. Hearers of what we just read. God, I pray that you would put this deep in our hearts and our minds. And God, I pray that you would help us to be doers of your word. God, your word is so good, and God, we praise you for it. God, no matter what comes our way, Lord, we trust you. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Today's message is called Ready for More. After Paul spent the entire previous section talking about how Jesus was this incredible servant leader, and how he challenged the church to be ready to serve, to to honor God and to value others, he enters into this section with some warnings. Because as they have been so unified, so filled with joy, there are some tensions that are creeping up in this church. So in this section, Paul is going to give them some things to keep at the forefront of their hearts, at the forefront of their minds, so no matter what it is that ends up coming across their way, they will be ready for more, So the first thing here that Paul gives them to keep at in their hearts at the forefront of their minds is to simply remember that there is more joy to come. No matter what has happened to you, no matter what you've been through, there is still more joy to come in your life. In fact, listen to what Paul says here again in Philippians chapter 3 verse 1. He says, further, my brothers and my sisters, he says, rejoice in the Lord. He says, it is no trouble for me to write these same things to you again and again and again and again. He says, look, I can keep on telling you this over and over and over again. In fact, just in the book of Philippians right here in just these four short chapters, over 12 different times, Paul tells this church to rejoice He tells them to have joy. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say it, rejoice. He wants them to know that the joy that they have in the Lord, that they need to hold on to it. That God's going to keep bringing in joy in their lives, no matter what the season. God's going to keep bringing in hope in their lives, no matter what's happening around them. He's telling them, look, we need to make the choice to rejoice, and when we do that, it is a safeguard for our hearts. It's something that we need to hold on to in every single season because when we make the choice to rejoice, it literally protects our heart no matter what it is that we end up going through. Do you remember when you had joy in the Lord? Maybe it was first when you gave your life to Christ. You realized that you were a sinner in need of a Savior. And that incredible love of God wasn't just for everyone else, but it was for you. Do you remember when you surrendered your life to Christ and you felt that joy, that hope that only comes with knowing Jesus? Maybe you felt that joy of the Lord when you've been praying and praying and praying over and over again that God would bless you with a child and you would finally get pregnant. And then when you held that baby in your hands and you felt the joy of the Lord, Maybe you've been, pr- been praying for that promotion at work. And you've been praying, God, would you just bless me with this promotion? I know it can really help my family. And you, and you, know, and you finally got the yes that you had been praying for. Man, you probably screamed again like you were five years old because you felt that joy of the Lord when the answer to that prayer was yes. Or maybe it was when you came to church or you read God's word, And you knew that he he was speaking directly to you. I mean, his presence was almost palpable as you were reading God's word and you felt his promises, you felt his peace, you felt that hope, that joy that comes with knowing Christ. Maybe it was when everything else around you didn't seem to make sense, but yet you had a peace that transcends all understanding. And you had that joy of the Lord. And Paul's saying, look, God's going to keep providing that. There is still more joy to come. When we make that choice to rejoice and see that God is still working in every situation, Paul says, look, that's going to guard your heart. No matter what it is you end up going through. And he's encouraging this church to rejoice And those who rejoice in the Lord and make the choice to do it, they will not be disappointed or discouraged. It will not be a marker of their lives, discouragement or disappointment. But instead, their lives will be marked and protected by this joy and this hope that comes from knowing Jesus. Not only does Paul want them to keep at the forefront of their minds, to keep centered in their heart that there is more joy to come, God's going to keep bringing his hope into your life. But he also wants them to know that there is more that they're going to have to endure. Church, there's more that we're going to have to endure as we still live on this earth, as we experience a broken world. You know, I think a lot of times when we think about life, we often kind of picture life as this. These are our expectations for life. Everything's going to be up and to the right Everything's going to work out the way that we planned it. The job that we applied for, we're going to get it. Going to be pregnant on the very first try. We're going to have all of our prayers answered with a yes. We're going to get a good parking space every single time we go to Costco. (laughs) We think everything's going to be up and to the right. But how many of you know, even after just one minute of living, that this is the way that life is I mean, it can be full of things that we didn't expect when we lose the job, when we lose the child, when we were hoping for something so good, but the opposite happened. Sometimes it seems like life can actually be filled with some setbacks, but I think sometimes we need to realize that God is still trying to set us up for his grace Paul says, look, there is joy coming. God's going to keep bringing in this joy into your life. But church, you have to realize that there is more we're going to have to endure. Listen to what he says here again in verse 2. He gives them this warning. And he says, watch out, church. And this is harsh language. But he he wants them to realize, look, all that unity you've been feeling. Look, there's something trying to creep in. And he says, watch out for those dogs those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. And then in verse 10, he says, look, I want to know Christ. Yes, I want to know his power, that joy, that hope. I know more of it is still to come. I want to know Christ, yes, the power of his resurrection. But I also want to participate in his sufferings, becoming like him even in death. You know, when he calls out these people, these dogs, um, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh, he's talking about a specific group of people that were trying to, again, bring these false doctrines in the church. In fact, these people were using their words and they were twisting the gospel. They were twisting the words of Christ and trying to say, you know what, if you do all these other things and follow Jesus, then you'll be saved. But they were also spreading poison in their church and using their words to attack people in the church. And he's saying that you need to watch out for those because, you know what, if you're following Jesus, it's not a matter of if you will be attacked, but it's a matter of when. And he wants to let them know that one of the things about following Christ, probably something that we don't often talk about that often, is that when you follow Christ, you actually may even suffer more than before you knew him. You know, I gave my life to Christ when I was 21 years old. And I'm not sure where I originally got this from, but I really thought after giving my life to Christ that everything was going to be perfect. That everything was going to be fixed from before. And right around the time I gave my life to Christ, I was going to the University of Central Florida in Orlando. And as I'm going to the University of Central Florida, one of the things that colleges did back then, I'm not sure if they still do this now, but they would invite all these creditors to come on campus, and they would set up booths all around campus, and what they would do is they would have college students come over, and their representative would say to the college students, look, if you sign up for this credit card, we're going to give you a free T-shirt. If you sign up for this credit card, we're going to give you a gift certificate, If you sign up for this credit card, you're going to get free pizza. And what college student doesn't want more free stuff? And so what I did was every single time there was a booth set up, I would sign up for one of those credit cards. And before I knew it, I think I had somewhere between five to seven different credit cards And as I was spending all sorts of money on random things, as I was not making any of the payments and late fees and high interest rates were were building up, before I knew it, within the course of just a year, I had five to seven different credit cards and even some payday loans I did, and I racked up over $10,000 in debt within just one year. Those creditors started to call. They would leave me messages on my home phone They would leave me, They would call me at work They would call me on my cell phone Saying they were going to sue me They were going to take things away from me That I might even end up in jail Or garnishing my wages from Circuit City <laughs> And I started to realize You know what Right now I am deep in debt But I also right around that time Started to realize I wasn't just deep in debt But I was deep in sin I was so far from God, and I started to look at the friends I was hanging out with, the clubs I was going to, the parties I was going to, I started to look at the life that everyone says, you live this life, then, this is the best, yet all the time still feeling the weight of my sin, the weight of my shame. I had one Christian friend, and he shared the gospel with me. Now, again, I had heard the good news about Jesus before, but this time he sat with me down in his apartment and he said, look, Andrew, God loves you. Jesus loves you. And despite your sin and your shame, all you have to do is if you believe in him, if you believe that Jesus really did come and he died on the cross and he was buried and he bodily rose from the dead, if you believe that that paid the price for your sins, then God will forgive you of that. You will have a brand new life. You'll get to experience life to the full. You will even gain heaven one day. And when he told me that, I was like, whatever, I've heard that before. But I could not escape the truth of the gospel. I went home shortly after that in my apartment in Orlando, and I got down on my hands and my knees, and I didn't know exactly what to say, but I knew exactly what to say. And I said, Jesus, I want you to be Lord and leader of my life. Jesus, I want you to forgive me of my sin, of my shame, of my past. Jesus, I've tried to run this life into the ground, but right now I want you to take the wheel way before the Carrie Underwood song. (laughs) I said, Jesus, take the wheel of this life. Be the Lord and leader of my life. Church, after I prayed that prayer, I knew something was different. I knew that Jesus was now the Lord and leader of my life. And as, as, as I started to follow Jesus, I really did think, okay, maybe somehow, some way, now that I've given my life to Christ, now that he's paid my sin debt, that maybe somehow he's going to just automatically wipe out this financial debt. Like, I thought Jesus was going to call American Express and be like, you know what, I just paid off this guy's sins. Uh, how about you go ahead and just, go ahead and just wipe away all his financial debt? But would you know, they kept calling. And as they kept calling, I started praying And God would send wise financial counselors into my life to help me. He would help me work some extra jobs to start paying off that debt. And after a time, um, I was able to wipe out all of that credit debt just with God's help and because of him leading and seeking him. And see, what I'm trying to say to you is that after you give your life to Christ, there are still things that you're going to have to endure while we live in this broken world. There's still things that we're all going to have to go through. There's more pain that we're going to have to face. In fact, this is not the banner that we often wave around when it comes to following Christ or Christianity. But again, you may even suffer more for knowing him. In fact, Paul even makes the link here that part of following Jesus is being part of how Jesus himself suffered. Church, I wish that I could tell you that the last time that you felt betrayed was the last time you were ever going to feel betrayed. I wish I could tell you that the last time you lost a loved one was the last time you were ever going to lose somebody that you love. I wish I could tell you that the last fight you had with your spouse, even if it was on the way to church, was going to be the last fight that you were ever going to have with them. I wish I could tell you that the last tough season you went through, that the last trial that you went through was it. But how many of you know that that statement that pastors often make is more true than any of us want it to be? That you're either in a trial, coming out of one, or getting ready to go into one. And if you're in a trial, the world is watching you to see if you have a faith that can be trusted even while it's being tested. But how many of you also know that even though you've been through some stuff, the Savior's not failed you yet? Man, the apostle Peter knew this. Peter who denied Christ, who turned his back on him. But Jesus came and restored him. Peter would end up suffering and dying for his faith. Listen to what he writes in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10. He says, And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you've suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. And Jesus knew this. As Jesus was getting ready to go to the cross himself, to pay the price for the sins of the world, to suffer and die for us, he's writing to his followers and he's speaking to his followers and he says, you know what? In this world, you are going to have trouble. He doesn't say you might have trouble. He doesn't say if you do every single thing right that you're going to avoid trouble. He says, you will have trouble. But take heart. Come on, let that peace, let that joy, let it guard your heart because I have overcome the world. Another time when Paul was writing, he writes in Romans chapter 5, verses 3 through 5. He says, look, we we can even glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces something. Even while we're going through what we're going through, God is doing something in us. And he says, look, that suffering produces perseverance, 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 Character, And that character, that hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And there was another time that Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And he says, look, I was given a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. And he says three times, Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away. Now, every time I read this passage, church, I start thinking, you know what? This is Paul who's writing this. Paul who, yes, at one point he was far from God. He was a sinner. He was even a terrorist against the church. He was having Christians killed or thrown into jail. But that he repented of all that sin, surrendered his life to Christ. And God would use him to do incredible things for him. This is Paul who's writing this. Paul who would give us about a third of the New Testament. Paul who would actually help to start more churches than any, any other disciple or apostle in the first century. Paul, who would say, you know what, no matter what it is I'm going through, even in jail, I'm going to sing songs of praise to God. I'm going to keep praying him and trusting him and letting his joy safeguard my heart. Paul, who writes this, says, look, I pleaded with the Lord three times to take it away. And every time I read this, I think the next verse is going to, that God's going to say, you know what, of course, Paul, you've done so much for me. Of course, I will take this pain away from you. That's why every time I read the next part in verse 12, it's so surprising to me, but it's so good. He says, God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Paul says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That's why, for Christ's sake, I delight in those trials. I delight in what I'm going to endure. I delight in weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Church, there is more that you're going to have to endure. But Jesus' grace is still more than enough. All right, just two more. Can you handle some more? There's just two more. Another thing that Paul gives this church, he reminds them of that he wants to keep them at the forefront of their mind, is that he wants them to know there's going to be more that they will have to give. Church, there is more that we will have to give no matter what it is that we're going through in life. Listen to what he says here again in verse seven. He says, but whatever gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ." He says, What is even more than that? What is more is that I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all of those things. He says, I now consider all of those things, I consider those things to be garbage that I may gain Christ. You know, Paul knew what it meant to be wealthy, he knew what it meant to have every single thing that he needed. But he also knew what it meant to ask for help. Paul had a reputation. In fact, at one point, he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was this scholar that was well known. He knows what it's like to have a good reputation, but he also knows what it's like to have people spit in his face and to curse him out and to curse at him. He knows what it's like to have status. He says, look, I was of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews from this prominent family. But he also knows what it means to ask for a handout. And Paul's saying, you know what? I'm looking to all of these things. He's like, he's saying, look, I'm, I'm looking to these things, but then I'm looking at Christ. I'm looking at all the things that I could gain but then I'm looking to Christ. I'm looking at more reputation I could gain, but then I'm looking to Christ. I'm even looking at the, the old life I used to live of sin when I was so far from God, but now I'm looking to this life with Jesus. And he's saying, I look to these things, but I want Christ more than anything in this world. I want him more than all of those other things. Church, do you want Christ? Because there's some things that you need to give up in this season that are hindering your life with Jesus. There's some things right now that you know you're looking to. You're maybe looking, still looking to that boyfriend or that girlfriend. You know they're pulling you further and further and further away from Jesus. Are you going to look to them? Or are you going to look to Christ? You thought that that, that promotion was going to give you everything you wanted, that you were going to get gained from that, and you've been looking to that, but do you want to look to Christ? Because what does it gain us? If we gain the whole world, yet yeah, we forfeit our souls. Church, there is more that we're going to have to give up in this season. Last one, and then I'm done. There is more than this. Despite the brokenness that we feel in our world, despite all that you've been through, church, there is more than this. Listen to what he says here again in verse 13. Paul says, One thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. He says, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And in verse 18, he says, For as I have often told you before, again, he's given them this warning, As I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears in my eyes, many will live as enemies of the cross of Christ. But their destiny is destruction, and their God is their stomach, and their glory is their shame. They have their mind not pictured on Christ, but they have their mind fixed on all these earthly things. But our citizenship, it's in heaven. And we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform even this lowly body so that they will be like his glorious body you know, most of those who were part of the church in Philippian, the Philippian church, they were probably Roman citizens. And people who were Roman citizens, at some point, what they would do, they would, they would look to the capital. They would look to Rome for either news. In fact, they would send out their gospel, which was the good news from the capital to all the provinces. So people in Philippi would look to the capital for good news, but it would also look to the capital for maybe some more laws, more instruction on how they can live their life. And as Paul's writing to this church in Philippians, he's in the capital. He's in Rome right now, and he's writing to the church in Philippians. And so as he's writing from the capital to this province, he's telling them, look, yes, you are citizens, but you need to remember that you have an even greater citizenship. He's reminding them that when this life here on over is, is over, when you have a relationship with Christ, there is more than what you see. There's more than what you're going to have to endure. In fact, the day is coming when you are no longer church, you will no longer be a citizen of these United States. The day is coming when you no, no longer be a citizen of Canada or Jamaica or India. If you know Christ, you will be a citizen of heaven. And the good news is, praise God, there's no taxes as being a citizen of heaven. But not only that, your citizenship Church, it earns you a place where there is no more sin, where there is no more pain. There's no more shame. There's no more suffering. Even though we have to endure while we're here on earth, there is more than this. There is going to come a day for those who know Christ where you will be in a place with Jesus for eternity, away from sin and death forever. Last year, my family and I probably went to one of the most difficult and most painful seasons that we have ever faced. In fact, not only did we realize that the sin and brokenness of the world was everywhere, we felt it right inside of our lives. Uh, my father in law, Jim, uh, he was somebody who re- just loved his wife. He loved his wife, Walter, for almost 50 years. He was dad to Tim, Dave, and my beautiful wife, Anna. He faithfully served in his church. He was somebody who really loved Star Wars and loved Star Trek. He was a teacher in a season. He was a pastor in a season. He went on missions trips. But more than any of those things, Jim Taves, my father-in-law, loved Christ. Christ. He surrendered his life to Jesus at an early age and and trusted him and found his joy in the Lord in every single season. Last year in May of 2020, my father-in-law, along with my mother-in-law, came to visit us last year near the beginning of the pandemic. And as they came, as oftentimes we did, we would have all these different conversations. I mean, we would talk about everything from politics to the latest Star Wars movie coming out to even just what God was doing in his life, talking about God's word. And of course, just like I'm sure many people had it, the conversation turned toward the pandemic. And I'll never forget what my father in law said. He said that, you know, I think some of these restrictions and guidelines that they're putting out there are a bit of an overreach. But at the same time, you know what? I'm going to follow the guidelines because I, I care for people who are around me. He says, I'm going to follow the guidelines. But he said, despite all those guidelines, despite the virus, he says, I trust the Lord. He says, I'm not going to live my life in fear. He says, I may get COVID, I may not. He says, I may get it and I may be fine. He says, I may get it and I may die. But I have a relationship with Jesus. My life is in his hands. So I know that even if I get it and I die, the worst day on earth for me here is the greatest day because I'll be with him forever in eternity. Church, I had no idea. We had no idea that just four months later he would get COVID-19. And you want to know what my father-in-law was doing as he was in the hospital before they put him on the ventilator? He was in the hospital praying. He was in the hospital praying for his family and those that he loved. He was in the hospital praying for those who still need to receive the grace of God. And you want to know what he said before they put him on the ventilator to his family? He says, it is God's will for me to be here. I trust him. I know that he's with me. In fact, he was even in the hospital still reading through the Gospels again, letting God's word fill his heart and safeguard his heart with that hope that only comes through knowing Christ. Church, we prayed and we prayed and we prayed that God would give us more time with him. In fact, I know many of you prayed and prayed and prayed for God to give us more time with him. Jim Taves did everything right. He went on missions trips. He tithed to his church. He served in his church. He helped people who were in need. He did everything right, but yet he still suffered and had to endure. But could you imagine the homecoming when he breathed his last breath? When Jesus himself said to him, Welcome home. Welcome home, my good and faithful servant. Your suffering is over. I'll never forget what my wife said after losing her dearly loved dad. After she said, This is the most painful season I've ever been through. But even in this, I trust the Lord. And then she said the promise. She said, I have a relationship with Christ. My dad had a relationship with Christ. I will get to see him again because there is more to life than this. Church, there is more that we're going to have to go through. But in every single season, man, the grace of God is enough. And the day is coming when your life on earth here is going to be over. But man, if you have a relationship with Christ, you're going to see what God has been getting you ready for. I'm going to ask our worship team to are going to make their ways back up to the stage on our Fredericksburg campus and here at our Stafford campus. And as they're making their way back up to the stage, I just really believe that there's somebody sitting at Fredericksburg online or right here in this room at Stafford who has not yet made the decision to follow Christ. And you've been ready for more, but you've been searching for this more in all these places and you know that it's only leading to more brokenness. You've been trying to fill in that hole in your heart with so many other things, but what you need to do is turn to the one who can heal that brokenness. And God says that he wants to be the Lord and leader of your life. He wants to forgive you of your sin, of your shame. He wants to help you endure whatever it is you're going to go through in life, give you all the grace that you need. But one day, he also wants to give you Heaven to be with him forever. In fact, if you're ready to give your life to Christ today, at every location, you're gonna bow your heads and close your eyes. If you're ready to surrender your life to Jesus today to make him the Lord and leader of your life, right there where you are, would you just pray this simple prayer? Would you just pray, Jesus, I want you to be Lord and leader of my life. Jesus, forgive me of my sin, forgive me of my shame. Jesus, I believe in you. I surrender to you. And while everyone says their heads down, their eyes closed, if you pray today to ask Jesus to be the Lord and leader of your life, I just want to know who you are. And I'm going to count to three. And once I hit three, I want you to send your hand straight up in the air. And our prayer team is going to give you a card to help you take your next step in following Jesus. So are you ready? One. Two, three. If that's you today, you decide to follow Christ, raise your hand up in the air, shoot it straight up in the air, keep it up just for our moment so our prayer team can make their way around to you at Fredericksburg, here at Stafford. If you're watching online, just click the button right below me to let the chat host know you've decided to follow Christ. And Father God, I just want to pray for the people who are watching today who find themselves in a trial, And God, as they've been going through the pain and suffering of this season, maybe it's moved them further and further and further away from you. God, I pray that they would know that your grace is still sufficient. God, I pray that they would know that even though there's more they will endure, God, that your grace is still more than enough. I pray right now, God, that they would turn their hearts back to you, that you would capture their hearts again from that joy that comes in the Lord. And I pray, God, you would safeguard their hearts in this season. I pray, Lord, you remind them that what we see here on earth, it is not all. But the day is coming where we'll get to be with you. God, we love you. And in every single season, God, no matter what it is that comes our way, Lord, we trust you. Help us, Lord, to be ready. In Jesus' name, amen.